Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Let us worship the Lord our God. is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. For God has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not live up their souls to do what is false and do not swear deceitfully, Holy God, come and breathe new life into our daily patterns and practices where we feel stuck and empty, where we feel uncertain and scared, where we feel lonely and overwhelmed. Meet us, embrace us, give us what we need to flourish. Ground us in the faith of the saints who dared to dream in something better, believing that through you all things are possible. We hope and pray in the name of the triune God. Amen. 
grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us who are gathered in this sanctuary today, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful, however we have gathered, to gather in Christ's name, and it is in Christ's name that we greet one another. Therefore, our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifiers whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in God's house, so all are welcome here at First Church. I'd like to invite everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship tag. You'll find that on your pew. You'll also find it online with our virtual friendship pad. Send the pad down the pew and back again, and we will have the advantage of each other's names that we might greet one another at the conclusion of worship. I'd also like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, just out this door to my right. Down a very short ramp, you will find that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, we will have the opportunity to gather together in fellowship to, again, continue to greet one another in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you'll join us. I'd like to highlight a few announcements for your particular attention in the weeks to come, and a few that are in the bulletin and a few that are not. The first I want to call your attention to is this insert that you'll find in your bulletin. This is on behalf of our officer nominating committee. We, off, we elect both elders and deacons, as well as representatives, the congregation's representatives to our officer nominating committee at the beginning of next year, actually the, a couple months into next year, and our officer nominating committee is already at work, and they would love, they would covet your suggestions. You may fill that form out, and there's a box just outside the columbarium where you may slip it in, and they will be grateful for any insights you can give them as they seek to discern the people whom God is calling to lead our congregation in the years to come. I'd like to highlight as well that there's an upcoming, two upcoming adult education offerings. Uh, one will be a Bible study at lunchtime, and one will be a Sunday morning series on dreams. And for the one on dreams, there's limited enrollment, so you'll need to enroll ahead of time to register for that, which you may do using the church website. You'll find there an opportunity to register and more information as well on that class on dreams. And I hope you'll plan to participate in one or both of these offerings of our Adult Christian Education Committee during the Advent season. Otherwise, I'd like to highlight that there will be a listening session, last listening session, with our search committee for our new organist choir master today at the conclusion of worship. Go to Fellowship Hour, get a cookie, a cup of coffee, and if you haven't yet had the opportunity to make your feelings known to our search committee, who of course reports to our personnel committee, uh, come up to the McCall Room, which is just keep following stairs and you'll get there, or take the elevator, and they would love to hear from you. Uh, a few questions they have to help us to clarify our search and to clarify that job description as our personnel committee is finalizing that. Other than that, you've got about an hour, a little less than an hour, to order a pie from Manna, and today, of course, is annual giving Sunday. We will take your pledge at any point during annual giving season, but today we will dedicate those pledges. So as you come forward to make your offering, note that the offering plates are the silver ones on the side, and the pledge cards may go in this basket on the communion table. And I assure you, if it gets in the wrong place, we will sort it out. If you have not yet gotten your pledge mailing and you would like one, there is a table in the hallway that has pledge cards. You'll have them on your pew as well, as well as our annual mailing, which highlights what we're up to here at the church, where we give our money in the community, as well as some of the things that are important to us. Uh, if you're feeling particularly bold, you may add your own statement to the gift, the board on the wall that says, why giving matters to you. I hope every one of us has an answer as to why giving matters to us, and I invite you to share it on that wall. With all of these things noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. The truth is, we spend a lot of time hiding in our day-to-day -day lives. We hide our feelings, our mistakes, our fears, and even our hopes. We act as though we have it all together, even though we clearly do not. We tuck our true selves away, hoping that they will not be noticed. Our prayer of confession that we come to each week is not a time of guilt or shame, but instead it is an invitation to stop hiding from the world, from ourselves, and from God. This is a sacred space where we are able to show God who we really are and know that God accepts us still. So come, let us open ourselves up to God and meet the divine in our prayer of confession 
first in unison, and then in silence, let us pray. Holy God, we know that all that we have, everything about who we are, even the breath we breathe are gifts from your gracious and abundant hand. The earth, the fullness thereof, unfold before us to delight us and fill us. Given grace upon grace, our lives might stand as continual offerings of thanksgiving for what we have received. And yet, too often, we see not abundance, but paucity. We worry that we will not have enough. We neglect to care for those who need us to be generous. Our actions are not commensurate with how we have been blessed. Forgive us, we pray. Teach us to see your abundance not as temporary, but as the very foundation upon which our lives are built through Jesus Christ, our Lord. good news of this day is that God so honors our immediate personal experiences of pain, of heartache, and of regrets. And yet at the same time, God keeps us from being mired in them. God forgives us, God transforms us, and sets us free to be the people we were made to be. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from Psalm 123. Listen for God's word for you. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. As the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of their maid look to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than its fill of the scorn of those who are at ease and of the contempt of the proud. Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Listen again for God's word for you. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written for you. For you yourselves already very well know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say, there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in the darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. May God add a blessing to this reading. Our gospel lesson is taken from the gospel according to Matthew. We read in the 25th chapter, beginning at the 14th verse and continuing through the 30th. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. For it is as if a man going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, to another one one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, you good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made you two more talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things, enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The 1992 comedy film, My Cousin Vinny, begins with an error. While on a road trip through the American South, two New Yorkers, Stanley Rothenstein and William Gambini, forget to pay for a can of tuna at the Sakasuds convenience store. Shortly after they leave, the store is held up at gunpoint and the clerk is killed with a 357 Magnum revolver. When the two youths were taken into custody, they confessed to what they thought was the misdemeanor of forgetting to pay for a piece of their groceries, only to find that the prosecutor is, has in fact charged them with first-degree murder. Unable to afford representation and deeply disconcerted by the public defender, they ask William's cousin, Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, who has recently passed the bar but has never tried a case to represent them in their capital trial. The townspeople doggedly hold to what they believe to be the truth as Vinny systematically confronts them over their misperceptions. He uses the cooking time of grits to discredit a witness who was convinced that only a few minutes had passed between the time he saw the defendants in the store and when he saw the car speed away. He uses a tape measure and two fingers to demonstrate to yet another witness that her eyeglasses prescription is woefully out of date. He decimates the testimony of still a third witness because his line of sight to the sack of suds was completely compromised. His entire defense strategy is predicated on the premise that perpetrators driving a second identical mint green 1964 Buick Skylark entered the sack of suds a few minutes after the defendants and committed the crime. Finally, he calls to the stand his fiancée, 
Mona Lisa Vito, as an expert in general automotive knowledge to assess whether or not this defense holds water. In an Oscar-winning moment, she examines a photo of the tire tracks made by the escaping vehicle. Her eyes widen as her perception changes. Ms. Vito then destroys his defense and in the process destroys the prosecution because the tire tracks were made, we learn, by a car with positraction, an automotive development not available on the 1964 Buick Skylark. And she asserts that in the 60s, there were only two cars with positraction and the kind of power necessary to lay the kind of rubber in those skid marks. One, she says, is a Corvette which could never be confused with a 1964 Buick Skylark. The other, a 1963 Pontiac Tempest, had the same body height, length, width, weight, and wheel track as the 1964 Buick Skylark and was offered in metallic mint green. The film is a master class on misperception. Sometimes what we see is not the truth. In a 2022 article in Psychology Today, an assertion is made that discrepancies in how couples remember events are shaped by what is termed memory chauvinism, the assertion that one partner's memory is superior to their spouse's. The article attests, however, that the truth is much more complex. What we recall and how we recall it depends on our current mental and physiological state and environmental conditions. When sad, stressed, tired, hungry, resentful, anxious, perceiving ego threats, or in an overheated room, we're likely to recall negative aspects of events. When we're interested, relaxed, comfortable, and feeling okay about ourselves, we're likely to recall positive aspects. Of course, partners have different metabolisms, comfort levels, and most of the time, differing mental states. Sometimes, what we are so sure of is not the truth. Now this is a parable. And parables inevitably break down if we try to push them in the wrong direction. So there are a lot of wrong things we can see in the parable of the talents. For instance, the parable has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with innate abilities. A talent is nothing more than a sum of money, a rather large sum of money. But oftentimes, a preacher simply cannot resist the urge to associate the ancient term with its modern cognate, and so sermons are preached asserting that we all have a talent that we can bring to bear on behalf of the gospel. Most of us may not be able to play the organ, but we can all bring our gifts to church. We can teach Sunday school or host a luncheon or greet our guests with a cheery hello. Every word of that is true, but you don't get there from this text. As worthy a thing as it is to consider these things as we commit our treasure to the spread of the gospel and the good of our common life, Jesus is just talking about a sum of money in this parable. Likewise, we might see this as a parable about commitment, and that would certainly be a convenient take as we are invited to think about why we give. And certainly, 
we have immersed ourselves in gratitude over these last weeks, remembering how God has brought us thus far along the way, giving thanks for the sacrifices of our forebears that established and built this wonderful congregation, indeed, that built this blessed and beautiful place where we worship. And all of these are noble thoughts, necessary to our common life. But despite the fact that the object lesson in this parable uses money to make its point, this is not a parable about a tithe. We might even use this parable to question or reinforce notions about haves and have-nots. And in a time when the divisions between levels of wealth in society seem so very corrosive to community, it's not a bad thing for Christians to ask ourselves questions about why things are the way they are in the world. But neither is this what this parable is about. Nor is it even particularly about the burial of the talent. The late Edward Schweitzer writes, rabbinical law says that whoever immediately buries property entrusted to him is no longer liable because he has taken the safest course conceivable. This is a parable about what we see. Stanley Hauerwas writes, the one who received one talent feared the giver. He did so because he assumed the giver had been given a gift that could be only used or lost. In other words, the one with one talent assumed that he or she was part of a zero-sum game. Those who assume that life is a zero-sum game think that if one person receives an honor, then someone else is made poorer. So the slave with one talent feared losing what he had been given with the result that he tried to turn it into a possession. In contrast, the first two slaves recognized that to try to secure the gift that they had been given means the gift would be lost. The joy of the wedding banquet and the joy into which the master invites his slaves that had not tried to protect what they had been given is the joy that comes from learning to receive a gift without regret. Still others quiz this parable, rightly, asking, is there anything in the text as we build up to the master's return that would suggest to us that the master is, in fact, harsh and cruel? The giver freely handed over massive sums of money. Upon receiving the dividends, the giver essentially said to the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant, come into my own home. We'll set another place at the table. We are glad you are here. But the one-talent servant saw none of that. And what he saw was not the truth. When we see the goodness of God, really see it, we are apt to see goodness and generosity everywhere we look. When what we see is scarcity, judgment, harshness, we are apt to see that everywhere we look. Those who perceive God's grace will see it everywhere. And those who see only harshness will see it everywhere. 
years ago, I heard a sermon by Tom Long. He'll be preaching here in December in which he interpreted this parable through the lens of a small verse in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6 where Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. With a healthy eye, we may see goodness and mercy, grace abounding. But if our eye is unhealthy, we will encounter only harshness and judgment. And as I have often said, if we get God wrong, it's hard to get much of anything else right. It matters what we see. I will readily grant there is much that can conspire to rob us of our perspective on God's goodness. The inhumanity of wars raging at this very moment. The hoarding of resources that could elevate billions of souls out of abject poverty. Those are the things we can do something about. Naturally, there are things that are well beyond our control. The cruel progression of disease that degrades the body and shortens life and natural disasters that exacerbate already hard lives. It is possible to look at life if our eye is unhealthy to see only these. But to do so is to misperceive the fullness of what God has given us. Because humankind, God's gift God's blessing to the world in which we bless one another and the world around us. Humankind is capable of tremendous generosity and courage and grace. And the earth hungers to yield its plenty. John Calvin said there's not so much as a blade of grass that is not made by God to give us delight. Of course, as we're talking about the parables of Jesus, there is, of course, the life of Jesus to consider. A life marked by touching people, by bringing them into community, by healing, forgiveness. A life of true humanity. It comes down to what we see. Sometimes corrective lenses are required. Schweitzer further notes that this is a parable of responsibility. He writes, the parable is aimed at those devoted to their own personal security, devoted to the vindication of their own righteousness, rather than being devoted to God which means being devoted to other people, taking active and risky steps to help them. As I consider what it is to see the world, I come back to an old rabbinical tale, a favorite of mine, about two brothers who were in the business of milling wheat. Side by side, the brothers worked their land, storing the fruits of their labors each night. Side by side, piles of wheat grew for them in equal measure as their labors prospered. One night, one of the brothers tossed and turned. He thought to myself, there is no justice in this. My brother and I received the same measure of wheat for our labors, but yet our needs are not the same. He has a family to support. I must 
do something about this. It is only wheat, but I can share where it is needed. And so under the cover of darkness, he crept into their storehouses and shoveled a portion of wheat from his pile onto his brother's pile. At the same time, his brother could not sleep. This is not right, he muttered. This is not just. I have a wife and children, and yet our shares are equal. This must be addressed. My brother does not have the blessing of a family. And so as little as this material wealth is, I must correct it. Sneaking into the storehouse under the cover of darkness, he shoveled wheat from his pile onto his brother's. And each morning, both of them marveled that the supplies of grain never seemed to be diminished. As stories inevitably unfold, eventually they met in the night. And with tears of joy, as each discovered what the other one had been doing, they collapsed into an embrace. And the rabbis say that it was at this moment that God said, This is where my temple will be built, so that my house may always be a house of joy. What do you see? In the light of faith, we may see goodness. We may see the joy of God. And if we get God right, we may see a world full of generosity, humanity, all the good gifts that God would give us. And if we can see all of this, perhaps we may be of service to those who cannot. Because I have a strong hunch that the best way to aid in the healing of those who have been so bruised and battered by life circumstances that they can no longer see the goodness of God comes down to a simple action. We will have to show them what we see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Having heard the word of God preached and proclaimed, we now join our voices with believers across time and throughout the world by declaring together what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. While there are many things outside of our control, our ability to love one another well cannot be taken away from us. We can choose to whom we commit ourselves. We can choose to practice our values together. At this time, we are invited to gather with imagination and with hope to bring our gifts to God and to one another as we open ourselves to each other. Our tithes and offerings will now be received. Join us in our litany of dedication. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. From, From the, the abundance, abundance of, of creation, creation we have, we have all, all that we need. need. 
God has loved us into being as the first Presbyterian church in Philadelphia. God gives us a life in community, a life in which we may constantly recommit ourselves to God's work and to our life together. God has given us the gift of faith and invites us to share God's grace. God constantly renews us with the gift of our faith that we might know Jesus Christ and share his love. Everything we are, God has made us. God calls us to live lives of justice and generosity, participating in God's reign that we might glorify Jesus Christ. All that we have and all that we are come as gifts from God. And so we offer our lives in service pledging our commitment for the year to come. Holy God, we offer these gifts and these pledges, these commitments in order to take a step closer to you and to one another. May our vulnerability be met with compassion. May our willingness to step outside of our individual lives be met with welcome and with care. We ask you to bless these gifts and these commitments that they may be used to do your reconciling work in the city and throughout the world. We pray in the name of Jesus, who unites us together this day. Amen. Come, friends, let us bring all that is on our hearts and join together in prayer. Let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for this day, for our lives and for one another. We give you Thanks for the noises of excitement and celebration that fill our city this day. We give you thanks for the opportunity for good food and good company this week. We thank you for the reminders that we are loved and we are deserving of care. We thank you, God, even for the growing darkness of each day, for the way that it gives us space to imagine and dream. Help us to imagine your presence stirring beside us. Help us to dream up a world that radiates with your love. Ever-present God, we know that so many in our world are hurting. So many are grieving, struggling against the global tide of pain and tragedy. We know that you are present, but we wonder how we might offer your hope and comfort to a hurting world. Help us, God, to take our cues from the strong hearts at the very center of these tragedies who defiantly celebrate your gifts of beauty, love, and life. Oh God, as our nation wrestles with how to respond to our siblings around the world, help us to find courage to be ambassadors of your peace. Challenge us to open ourselves up to all those who are seeking solace. God, we know, too, that there are many who suffer in our own city, in our own neighborhoods and communities. Show us how to sing with voices calling for justice for all of your beloved, with feet that boldly march through the barriers that would divide us, and with hands that are never too full to take hold of our neighbor's trembling fingers. We pray, too, O oh God, for those in our very midst this day, for those who are lonely, give company. 
for those who are mourning, give comfort. For those who are sick in body or soul, give strength and swift healing. And finally, gracious God, we pray for ourselves. In the silence of our hearts, we lift up our deepest yearnings, trusting you to draw near to them and to us. God, in defiant hope, we are bold to pray as your child taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. corrective lens is what we see is not the goodness of God, is the knowledge of the love of God, which we may show one another. But I have recently, very personally learned that corrective lenses are not the easiest thing in the world to become accustomed to. It turns out all of you at the back of the sanctuary do in fact actually have faces, congratulations. Uh, but when I first started wearing these beautiful apparatus, uh, I couldn't walk down the street without looking like I was three sheets to the wind. So it takes some getting used to and seeing the world through the lens of grace takes some practice too. The more we look for the grace of God, the more we will see it. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.